We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight, still in our Corinthians series, and we're going to be talking about assignments from God, God's call on our life, His purpose, His plan for our life. And really the message of this chapter, okay, if you had to sum it up, is to say focus. What Paul's telling the church is to say focus on your assignment. I tell you, sometimes that's not easy, right? It was pretty hard for me today when I spent the whole night uh, tearing up carpet from our closet because we had a, we came home from the football game last night and there was a leak upstairs that almost collapsed through our entire uh, roof into the, into the closet area. So I was up until 4 a.m. pulling out carpet and it was testing my ability to stay focused on my assignment, part of which is to be here tonight and to do what I love, which is lead and teach this class. So it's Paul's message and what he's going to try to get across to the church tonight is to stay focused on your assignment. Jarrett was talking a little bit about this, believe it or not, tonight. He always does a good job of setting it up for me. Uh, He was talking about perspective. Well, your focus on your assignment is really kind of wrapped, if you will, in perspective. And um, it's a difficult chapter, okay? This is going to be, I keep saying that every week in Corinthians, but it's a very difficult book, and this is a very complicated and difficult chapter. But as we go through this tonight, and as we look at uh, a bunch of difficult questions, and these are questions that the church has, has asked of Paul. If you looked in the first verse, you'll see that he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So they've actually written to him and said, hey, we've got some questions and we need some help. So as we go through and talk about some of these questions and maybe give some answers and look to scripture here for what Paul is saying about these difficult questions, I want you really to consider, okay, this this one, what I would call my sermon in a sentence, and it's actually kind of two sentences, but I put a semicolon in there, so it kind of qualifies as a sermon in a sentence. And I want, you to, I want you to think about this as though I was writing this to you, okay? I want you to think about this, and I've got a handout that I put on your table, and this handout, you don't have any handouts. There should be handouts on the table. Everybody got them? Okay, good. So it says there, sermon in a sentence, right? So that's, this, is, this, is the, this is the point I want you to keep in mind and consider as we go through this chapter. And it is just this, that you are to stay focused on your assignment. Do not let the who you are, which could be your past, the what you are, which could be your job, or the where you are, your place in life, keep you from what God has for you today. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Stay focused on your assignment. Do not let the who you are, the what you are, or the where you are keep you from what God has for you today. Much of the the blessing that I gave to William as part of Warrior Weekend was about the who, what, and where he is in Christ. But too many times, okay, we let the who, what, and where of life, okay, keep us from who we are in Christ, right? We, we let all that's going on around us, we lose the perspective, if you will, that Jared was talking about, keep us from our assignment, from what God has called us to do, for, for what He has asked us to do for Him, okay? And am I the only one that, that, that feels this in their own life? Because I know, for me, life tends to just get in the way. 
you know, and, and it's all kinds of things. It, it's sometimes my past, you know, it's sometimes my past, it's sometimes my job, it's where I'm at, and sometimes my location in life, but it just tends to get in the way, and it keeps me from maybe having the proper perspective, like Jared was talking about, like Paul's trying to say here, the proper focus on what really is important. You know, and why do we do this? I mean, I wrote down some things that, that came to my mind. Why, why do we let the who, what, and where of life keep us from what God has called us to do, keep us from our assignment? It's all kinds of things, right? It's just the busyness of life. It's restlessness of life, depression, unhappiness, frustration, guilt, regret, anger, confusion, maybe sin, Right? All of this is what encompasses the who, the what, and the where of life. And it's not hard to see if you've been here during this series that the people in the church of Corinth, they're experiencing these types of things, right? They're experiencing these same problems. But unlike, it seems like, uh, some of the prior chapters where Paul was really angry and almost, you know, shouting and fighting with, with the church, this one really kind of takes on a different tone that you'll see. Okay, this really has the feeling of a church that is struggling, struggling with maybe keeping focus and prioritizing and, and really staying, you know, tuned in to what God wants for them in their life and maybe getting confused by a bunch of things. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. So as we're going through this, just keep that in mind. Stay focused on your assignment. Don't let the who, what, and where of life disrupt you, keep you from what God has for you to do. And we're going to start in verse 25. Okay, we're going to start in 25. They could have, if Paul would have been helping me out here, he would have arranged this a little differently. But we're going to start in verse 25. And what verse 25 in this section of the chapter is talking about is, is in my, my Bible, in the ESV, it says the unmarried and the widowed. In the first verse there, it says now concerning the betrothed. Really, all this is talking about that word betrothed here, and it's interpreted a bunch of different ways in different translations. At the end of the day, it means single. Okay, for whatever reason, you could be a widow or you could just not be married. You may be engaged, a number of different things. But this is for someone that is unmarried. It says there in verse 25, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. All right, I'm going to pause for a second because this is important. If you go back and study this chapter, no command from the Lord. If you look, there's several other places. Look over in verse 6. It says, now as a concession, not a command. If you went down into verse 10, you would see, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. And then verse 12, it says, I, not the Lord. There's a lot of back and forth that Paul does in this chapter. He's, you know, and it's very confusing. It's at one point, this is a command from Christ. And at the other moment, this is just my opinion. This is from me, not from God. And really the, the way to understand that is, is when he's talking about a command or when he's talking about from the Lord, he's really, you can think of it as red letter, okay, in your Bible versus uh, inspired scripture. Okay, what Paul's saying here isn't any less important or less authoritative. He's really referring back to what Jesus had said and what he had spoken. So think red letter versus not red letter. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Okay, he's an apostle. He speaks for God. That's why he is writing this book in scripture. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. 
So why do you think Paul is starting out here and he's telling us, it almost as if though he's saying, I'm against marriage, you shouldn't get married. Why do you think it is that he's almost encouraging them, and we're going to see it even more when we go back and look at the first part of this, he's encouraging them not to get married. I mean, he gives us a little bit of a hint there in the first, in 26 there, it said, I think that in view of the present distress, okay, so this was a really tough time. Okay, if you looked down in verse 29, you'll see the appointed time has grown very short. Over in verse 31, it talks about the present form of this world is passing away. Okay, Paul just kind of has this urgency about him. You know, and you could make the same arguments that that urgency should be today also, that we should have that same urgency. I mean, you know, there's some uh, scholars that think that Paul had truly believed that Jesus was coming back at this time, so the time was short. You know, there's others that talk about it in terms of, listen, we've just got a lot to do, okay? A lot of people need Christ, all right? We don't have time to mess around, all right? So what Paul is really encouraging them to do is not necessarily stay single or get married. His, his message to them is stay focused on the task at hand, on your assignment. He talks more about this as we go. It says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. That is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. If you just zero in on that one sentence there or that one part of verse 9 to 29 that says, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Really, this is, this kind of goes back, Paul's kind of making the point that I often make when I stand up here and teach, and that is you shouldn't think as much about Christ as being a priority as, a, as, a, as thinking about Christ as being the only priority. Okay, because we often talk about it, do we put him first in our life? And I wear a bracelet that says, I am second, that gets that message across. But in reality, okay, Christ should be our only priority. If you're putting him up and down, you have a tendency, right, when you're prioritizing to move it around. He's going to be first now, but is he going to be first next week or next month or next season or whatever it's going to be? Okay, but if, if Christ is your only priority, Everything else seems to take care of itself. And that's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, live as though you're not married. Stop worrying about this. Okay, worry about what's important. Okay, what God has called for your life. Okay, what he has, has, has designed for you. And he talks further about it in 32. He's talking about not worrying about this and being free from anxieties. Listen to what it says. It says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order. And then here's the key, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's not saying that either one of these are bad or good, right? That's not what his purpose here is. His purpose here is to reiterate and tell you to stay focused, to stay focused 
on the Lord, on the assignment he's given you. He'll go on in verses 36 and through the end of the chapter to say, listen, if you have to get married, if you feel like you need to get married, go ahead and do it. It's not a sin. Don't have to worry about that. But make sure that you are undivided into your devotion. If you're married, make sure you keep your eyes firmly placed on God. Okay, that is the, that is the main point that he wants to get across in this passage. Now, he could have taken this layout, if you will, of chapter 7, and then he could have taken the first part and put it at the end here, okay? Because the first part of this chapter, he just goes through and he gives us some, some instruction, if you will, about mainly being married, okay? He's went through and he's, he said, listen, please, whatever you do, just stay focused on what God's given you to do, okay? If you're married, great be married. If you're not married, great. Be single, okay? But stay focused on God. But you can see, like I said, he's answering some questions, all right? And I wanted to make sure that I don't skip over these questions. I want to make sure we look at them very briefly here. If you go back to the first part of chapter 7, and he's trying to answer these questions on marriage, verses 1 through 5, he's talking about sexual relations inside the marriage, okay? This one's very easy. Sex inside of marriage is good, Outside of marriage, bad, okay? That's basically the point of that first five verses. And it does talk a little bit about obligations inside of a marriage. So men would love this first five verses. So you can read this on your own, all right? And then starting in, chapter, in verse six, he's starting to talk now about marriage. He says, now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and, another, and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Again, many, many people want to take these, these verses here and say that Paul is against marriage, and it's just not true, okay? Paul was likely married, and, and the scholars think that she either died or when he converted to Christianity, she may have left, okay? So, it isn't that Paul is against marriage. He would never, ever be against Scripture, right? And the Bible is very clear that marriage is good. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, okay, and you looked at when God created uh, the, the, the earth, what did it say after each thing he did? When he created light, when he created the, the, the animals, what did it say? Good. It's good. Okay, what's the one time in, in all of that creation context that God said it's not good? There's one time, it's not good for man to be alone, okay? Jesus confirmed this when he said that a man shall leave his family and a woman shall leave her family and they shall become one, right? One flesh. So it's not that, that Paul is against marriage, okay? Some people, like I said, have tried to read that into this, that somehow marriage is bad and single is good. No, Paul's like saying, no, this is not the case. They're both gifts, it's really not even the points, what he's trying to get across to him. And then he goes into verse 10, starts talking about divorce. And he says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Again, he's speaking red letter here, right? The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce the wife. Again, marriage good, divorce bad. And he's referring back to not I, but the Lord. If you went and read chapter 5 of Matthew, you could see where Jesus talks on this. And he gives a couple of exceptions to the, you should not get divorced. One we know, sexual immorality, 
okay? Um, and the second one is what Paul is going to talk about here. It's what we would call abandonment. Starts in verse 12 there. And to this he says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord. So now all of a sudden he's talking again. This is no longer a red letter. It just means that Jesus didn't talk on this subject. Okay, it doesn't make it any less authoritative for us as a Christian. It says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So abandonment. If an unbelieving spouse leaves, then you have a right to divorce. But again, I go back and say, God doesn't like divorce. All right, this, this gives you an out, but it's not an obligation, right? And what I love to focus on more than the out is what it says in the heart there of that scripture of what happens or what can happen when a believing spouse stays in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse. I mean, look how great that is. It has the power, right, to make the other spouse holy, to make your children clean and your spouse holy. How good is that? I mean, is that not just a great testimony for the fact that the power of God always, always, always is greater than the power of Satan? Always, always, always. And then when Paul gets through kind of giving this instruction, specific instruction about marriage and about divorce and about the exceptions to divorce, he gets right back to the heart of the chapter, okay, to the center, literally in the center of the chapter, and that is live the life that God has called you to live. Live out your assignment. Stay focused on your assignment. And that's really what, what the heartbeat, if you will, of this chapter is all about in verses 17 through 24 is stay focused on the assignment. Stay focused on what's important. Don't let all this other stuff, you know, confuse you or, or get you off base, okay, or cause you to struggle. Keep your eyes firmly focused on Christ and all of this will take care of itself, including making an unbelieving spouse holy, okay? Just keep focused on Christ. So let's look here in verse 17. I'm going to read 17 through 24, and then we're going to talk about it. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who, has, he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Four things I want to talk about real quickly about this assignment. They're on your, your sheet here. Number, I'm going to give you the four and then we're going to talk about them. Number one, the assignment comes from the Lord and is for the Lord. The assignment comes from the Lord and is for the Lord. The second one, does not matter who you are. Three, does not matter what you are or where you are. 
And four, while on the assignment, God is always there. First assignment is from the Lord and for the Lord. He talks about that here. He says in verse 17, and only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned. Okay, whatever God's called you for in this life, okay, he's predestined for you. It's an assignment specific to you, right? The Bible says that he knows the, the number of hairs on your head, that each one of your steps were known before you, ta- before you took a single step, okay? There's a specific assignment and a call on your life, each one of your lives as a Christian. And it's for the Lord, okay? We sometimes get very, very confused on this one. It's for the Lord. What did he say down there in, in, at the last part in verse 23? You were bought with a price, Okay, our, our life is not about us, right? Our life really is about glorifying God. That's what it's all about, okay? It's about bringing glory to God, not bringing glory to us. Rick Warren, I know everybody knows Rick Warren probably. He wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. It sold millions and millions and millions of copies. Listen to what he said. He said, if you're a follower of Christ, God has given you a mission in this world. You're not here just to take up space. You're not here to just strive after your own personal goals. You have an assignment from God himself for his mission, not yours. For his mission, not yours. I've been listening. I got my my song I have on repeat right now is a Hillsong song called um, uh, Love So Great. And in there it says, not to us, but to his name, we lift up all praise. Not to us, but to his name. That's really what it's about. That's, I don't know what your specific assignment is in life, okay? I don't know what God's called you specifically to do, but I know, okay, it's not for us. It's for Him. And listen, this, this shouldn't make us sad, really. Like that song, like I enjoy listening to that song, this really should fire us up. This is, this is, this is something that's good, not bad. We don't have to look at this as limiting, right? This isn't intended to harm us, okay? We, we have the opportunity, think about this for a second. We have the opportunity to partner with God to change the world. Yeah, amen. I mean, think about that. We have the opportunity to partner with God to change the world. I don't know how many people saw um, that series that was done on the Bible, the, the miniseries that was on TV. And you know, one of the great parts of that miniseries was at the end of one of the episodes, I can't remember which one, when Jesus walks out onto the boat and he's with Peter. And he tells Peter, he's like, Peter, come with me. Follow me. Let's go. And Peter says, Jesus, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if I follow you? And he says, we're going to change the world. I mean, isn't that awesome? I mean, gosh, you get to be a part of changing the world, to partner with God, to do something incredible, to save lives. I mean, does it get any better than that? And what's even more incredible to me is that it has nothing to do, okay, with the who, the what, and the where of life. Nothing. has nothing to do with the who, the what, and the where of life. I mean, that's Paul's point. It's like, regardless of your situation, okay, stay focused on the assignment that God has given. And if you want proof that the who doesn't matter, look no further than Peter. I mean, Think about Peter, okay? He's a fisherman, probably rough, right? Came from a very small little town, okay? Um, we know that he didn't have a good bedside manner, right? He 
kind of sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. Knew he was a sinner. If you go look over in chapter 6 of Luke, he says to, to Jesus, you know, move away from me. Falls on the ground, says, move away from me. I, I'm too much of a sinner for you to even be around me. I'm too bad of a guy, okay? I've got too bad of a past. I've sinned way too much, Jesus, for you to use me. Yet, with Peter, he helped build his church. I mean, think about that. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. If you look over uh, in verses 18 and 19, when he's talking about uh, being circumcised, and he says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek, okay, to remove the mark. And if you were not circumcised, don't, let, don't seek to be circumcised. Okay, he said it doesn't matter. All right, well, this circumcision, okay, what he's talking about, this is a past distinction, Okay, this is something they looked to in the past, right? It was an identifying mark, Jew versus Gentile. And what's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, the past doesn't matter. Okay, your yesterday doesn't determine your today. That's really what he's saying. The past is behind us. You cannot let that impact your today. It really doesn't matter, right? The whoever doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're a fisherman like Peter, okay, or if you're a royal Jew like Paul that killed Christians. Or maybe you're a Gentile prostitute like Rahab. Okay? It doesn't matter. That past doesn't matter. What what does Paul say here? The only thing that does matter? But keeping the commandments of God. All right? The past doesn't matter. What it matters is, is obedience. Okay? Obedience today. That's what matters. I mean, listen, this is really important stuff because I don't know about you, but I see it all the time. Sometimes in my own life, okay, filled with, with regret. I had a lot of discussions about regret, things that I regret. A lot of things I regret in my life, a lot, okay? You can't let that weigh you down. Mistakes you've made, and we've all made mistakes. Peter made mistakes, Paul made mistakes, killed Christians. I mean, Rahab the prostitute, every time you hear her name in the Bible is Rahab the prostitute. Big, big mistakes, but God did incredible things that helped change the world, right? With people that were less than perfect, that had a past. They had a past. It's not who defines us. It's not, it's not what uh, allows us to be effective for God. It's, it's not our legacy behind us that makes for what we do in the future, right? It's what we do now. It's being obedient now. It also doesn't matter what we are. He makes this point too, doesn't he? When he talks about the bond servant, he says that... Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Don't worry about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. So it doesn't matter if, if you work in the mailroom or if you're the president, okay? It doesn't matter if you're the general commander of the base or you're, like I was, the E1. I think I was the lowest person on the, on the base. It doesn't matter, it also doesn't matter if, if you get a promotion because it says if, if you get freedom, if you get out of that place where I was stuck, you should take it. And I did take it. That's a whole other story I'll tell you about later. It's a good story too, by the way. I just don't have time unless you guys want to stay for a while. But um, you can take it. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter you know, what your job is or what your job title is or where your job is at. It also doesn't matter if you're married or single or engaged or want to be married or want to be single. None of that matters, okay? And I'll tell you, like I said a few seconds ago, this, this speaks really directly to me. 
And like Jerry said, you know, when you're preparing for this, I think you learn more than maybe, I've told you this before, my goal in standing up here is to somehow, somehow, somehow in 30 minutes give you what I've learned and how God has spoken to me in the time that I've spent preparing. It's not easy to do in a chapter like this, but that's my goal. That's what I want to do because this spoke really to me, honestly. You know, I, I can't tell you how much time it seems like I spend, you know, kind of wishing I were somewhere else or something else or maybe in some other place. Okay, about five years ago, maybe six years ago, I went uh, to see my, my mentor in life, a guy named Mike Fetchner, and, uh, and I went to him, and then I went to Jarrett, and I was seeking godly counsel, and I was basically begging them, give me the permission to just stop with my business life. I just want to do full-time ministry. I, I don't want to be in business anymore. I don't like it anymore. I don't enjoy it anymore. Please, please, please give me an opportunity to get out. Both of them said no. I'm like, golly, how depressing is this? They're like, no. I'm like, what do you mean no? That's, that's, that's not the right answer. I mean, I'm telling you, I want to do ministry. That, that, if you're a preacher, Jared, that has to be a yes. You have to say Yes. He said, no. He said, God's got you where he wants you. He's going to use you where he wants you. Six years later, I guess he's still doing it, but it's still painful some days. Jade here, she works with me in the office. I had a horrible day Friday. She probably noticed it. Some days it just gets to me. Okay, it's not what I really enjoy every day. I don't really enjoy that life, but it's what God has given me. You know, and sometimes I, I miss out on opportunities because I'm a little too focused. I'm letting that distract me. I can tell you that. I mean, recently, uh, I play golf at this club here in town, and one of our members died. And when, when we have a member die, they send out the obituary, and they let you know, uh, you know, that it happened. And I was reading this obituary, and when I read it, it said in there uh, that he was a self-described uh, John 3.16 man very accomplished man and uh, was older in his 90s. And um, I've probably spoken to him hundreds of times. I didn't even know he was a Christian. I mean, think about that. I didn't even know he's a Christian. Now, I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I'd opened my eyes. I wish I'd had that conversation, you know, because this particular person had been a member at the club for a long, long, long time. Could have been helpful you know, to create a fellowship of believers, like-minded people. There's a lot of people there that need Jesus. I have my eyes closed, too busy, focused on the, the why, the, the what, and the where of life, right? And not on the assignment that God had put in front of me. You know, it was very convicting to me, honestly. Anybody else feel this way ever? Yes. I mean, do you ever feel like you just miss out on things because you're too busy with just the life and just the where you're at and the struggles of your day, not wanting to be there all the time, right? It keeps us, we lose our focus, we lose our perspective, all right? We lose our perspective. Everybody does this though. I mean, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes life is hard, right? Sometimes it's hard. This is, this is what Paul's really talking about when he says worldly troubles, okay? He's talking about this. He's really not talking about marriage. He's talking about the who, what, and where of life. But listen, I'm going to get to the end here pretty quick. So isn't it, though, amazing when you see somebody, all right, that embraces their life? I mean, isn't it just inspiring when you see that? 
You know that their life isn't easy and you know that it's, it's not always good and you know they may not be where they want to be, right? But nonetheless, you just see the Spirit of God. And I was thinking about that and I was just trying to come up with examples. My first one I came up with was, you've heard a lot about the movie Hacksaw Ridge, right? Desmond Doss and this, this soldier that went to war in World War II and because of his religious beliefs refused to, to carry a gun. I mean, clearly was not where he wanted to be. Clearly was not doing what he wanted to do, okay? Clearly, 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 all right? But he saved 75 people, all right? And they're making a movie about him, about his faith still today. Why? Because he was faithful to his assignment. God gave it to him. He was faithful with it. But you don't even have to have a movie made out of you. I was, when we were coming back from uh, California, I had to drop off the rental car, and this is my bus driver, Penny, Okay, so Penny drove me to, uh, from the rental car to the terminal. And I was sitting there, and there was a bunch of people on there, and everybody's kind of mean, you know, because they're running to the airport to their flight. And Penny has the worship music just cranked as loud as she can. Worship music coming out of the speakers. And my face just, I just lit up. And I was just, took a time. It's why it took so long to get, and the kids and everybody were waiting on me, because I sit there for a few minutes just to talk to Penny. Hard life, definitely not necessarily where she wants to be in life and doing what she wants to do, but just the most incredible joy coming from her, doing her assignment. I mean, she blessed me like crazy with just some worship music that she was playing on her bus, just some worship music she was playing on her bus. And you know, one of the things that that we can learn from Penny and from Desmond and it's the last point that I want to give here. The last point is, is that when you're doing your assignment, okay, God is there. What is that last verse there in verse 24? It says, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. If you looked at the message, it says God is there. You know, there's a couple of places in the Bible where this is used. In Genesis with Noah, it says that Noah was righteous and, and blameless and walked with God. Man, doesn't that just sound great? Walking with God? It does. And this is important, okay? Remember this part right here because this is the good application for tonight. All right? This is the good application for tonight because when you're struggling with your assignment, when the who, the what, and the where of life is bringing you down, okay, it's the with God that gets you through. Now, you may be looking and saying, hey, well, how do I get to walk with God like Noah? Well, you do. God lives inside of you. He lives right there inside of you. You get to talk to him. He gets to talk to you. Prayer, right? I get to talk to God all the time just by opening my mouth and praying. And he talks to us through his word, right? This, this Bible is filled with things that will help you get through your assignment. Everywhere. I, on the back of that page, I wrote a bunch of them down for you. Okay, some things that just spoke to me this week. Some things that could help us in those moments. Like when you are in a difficult meeting or have difficult colleagues or have a difficult workplace. Let your words be gracious, seasoned with salt. Colossians 4, 6. When you're stressed or depressed or burdened, give your burdens to Jesus. He'll give you rest. When you don't feel like you can go on, the Bible says that Christ will give you strength. When you don't understand, trust in the Lord, not on your own understanding. When you don't know what to do, just ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, if you feel restless, be still. I love that. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Be still and know that I am Lord. When you start getting a little big for your britches, then walk humbly. 
You start thinking too much yourself. I probably have that problem. When you feel like you're just getting by, remember you have abundance in Christ, abundance in Christ. And when you feel unappreciated or forgotten, remember who you are in Christ. Never forget that. You're the righteousness of God. When you feel like you never get ahead, you can't go on, when there is no hope, remember that you are more than conquerors in Christ. There's always hope in Christ. What great promises with God. No better place to be, right? It's a hard chapter, difficult chapter, but remember this. God saved you, and he can use you in the life he has given you. There's a great quote from one of my favorite movies, uh, not favorite for children, but it's called Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen that great movie, right? And in that movie, right before Tim Robbins' uh, character breaks out, and he's sitting there with Red, what does he say to him? He says, the way I feel, figure it, Red, you can either get busy dying or you can get busy living. So no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing in life, no matter who you are, for me, and I hope for you, I wanna get busy living, right? Get busy living for Christ, amen? amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you that you care for us enough to send your son to, to die on a cross so that we would know you. We would have the promise of eternity. Thank you that you care for us so much that you give us the privilege to partner with you to reach a dying in a lost world. Lord, I just, I thank you for your love, your grace, and for your mercy, Lord. I pray, God, for each and every one of us as we leave this room, we go out on our assignment, God. I pray that you'll give us just great strength and courage and wisdom, Lord. God, I pray that you'll bless us and protect us in all that we do. Thank you so much for this class, Lord. I'm so grateful for each person here, Lord. I pray your enormous blessings on their life. In Jesus' name, amen.